0: The truth is, even when you started eating food, you were really bad at it. You used to get it all over your face. And, you know, whoever's listening to this, yes, I'm talking to you. Every single one of us could not get the spoon in our mouth.
1: Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Today, I'm joined by Cordelia Kate founder of the Rebellious Business Network and an expert in helping consulting and coaching professionals grow a business that they love and attract paying clients. Cordelia has a great track record of getting great results for her clients, so I'm excited to have her on the show to share her insights and knowledge with us, particularly to explore how her approaches can reduce the biggest pain points for a coaching or consulting business and the stress that causes. Cordelia, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, thank you. What an intro. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's great to be here.
1: Can you tell us a bit about how you became an expert in the coaching and consulting industry, particularly in the marketing activities that you do?
0: Well, I'm probably not the first to say this, but it was kind of an accident. I was a nurse working 13 hour shifts with three kids under the age of four. And naturally, because people that are that busy do this, I started a side business. I wanted to create more revenue, but I also wanted to create something with my at the time partner to help him have something. I had my nursing and he wanted to start a business. So I supported him to get one set up. It didn't quite transpire like that. I ended up running the business single-handedly with three kids under the age of four and 13 hour nursing shifts alongside that. But I discovered something in the process of that two year long failure (laughs) of a business that it was that I really enjoyed the creativity. I enjoyed building pages. There were certain things I really, really enjoyed. And what I didn't enjoy was waiting for a postman to come and collect things. So fast forward, basically I started another business, a second business in affiliate marketing. I became really good at it. I started teaching other people how to do it. I learned marketing inside out and got hired as a consultant. And then January, 2020 went out on my own to be a consultant independently for startups.
1: That's awesome. That area has always been an area of interest to me. My background, a long time ago, I was hired as a management consultant. And then when I left, I set up my own consulting practice back in 2010. I still own it today. But one thing I found really early on was that there's this really terrible kind of feast and famine cycle that many coaching and consulting businesses experience when it comes to income, where they get busy... And so then they're not doing any sales work. And then they come out the other side of it and wonder where all the sales are gone. So they work loads on the sales side to try and drive it. And then they get really busy because they then have to deliver. And so suddenly what feels like lots of money in a short period of time actually has to spread out over a long period of time Mm -hmm. to allow for that kind of feast and famine cycle. So what's been your experience of that working with clients and what impact do you think that kind of cycle has with business owners?
0: Well, I think it's natural to have a bit of feast and famine at the start of any business. There's always True. going to be months where, you know, things aren't going as smoothly as they did before. I mean, there's, you'll have felt this before, surely, like your first 10K month and you're like, this is it now. This is me, 10K yeah. month and now what I'm about. And then the next month comes around and you do like two or three grand and you're like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know <laughs> that kind of happens, right? Yeah. But there are, with that being right at the beginning, you know, it can develop out of that if you're following the right strategy. So, for instance, like I work with mentors and coaches basically, people that are using their expertise to sell either information products or coaching products. And what I don't recommend people do is stay in that one to one situation forever because that will create this continuum of a peak and trough to do with like the revenue you're bringing in purely because you only have so much time and you're selling that and so you are going to get busy and so what we want to do is we want to get out of one-to-one quite soon and start building group programs and actually the, the best way to do this is stop selling one-to-one then as soon as you've used that you know to get loud and build a bit of an audience you launch your first group program and then you're now running a one-to-one and you've got a group program and then from there you're starting to build out other things that bring in recurring revenue and also more passive revenue and where this differs from what a lot of business coaches in the space recommend is they say things like you know put a course together and then sell that course and then you know build up your confidence and stuff and i'm like no 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 go straight in do the stuff that has the highest impact first so high ticket one-to-one program sell that first use that to build your reputation your authority and your audience And then from there, start to sell the lower ticket stuff, because at that point, Mm. you've actually got an audience and therefore you're able to sell the small things in high volume, which actually brings a good remuneration in revenue. So the way that you then get rid of that peak and trough is by having recurring revenue, by having people that are on payment plans, by having, Mm. you know, just payment plans, recurring revenue and passive income, because you've actually got an audience in which to sell to
1: yeah it's it's really funny because back in yeah back in 2010 my conclusion of how i would overcome that, that feast and famine was to build a software business. <laughs> I, I, at the time, could not see a way in which I could build a business to kind of uh, create that recurring income, and particularly in a way that didn't heavily depend on me as the consultant. And so it's really interesting that what you teach and what you share with your clients, perhaps my, perhaps I still would have gone on to build software businesses, but certainly it would have taken away one of the <laughs> reasons that I did it. And I think for coaches and consultants that, that particularly want to run those sorts of businesses. What a fantastic way to be able to, if only stabilize the income. I, I think that I really like your suggested approach there because it's not about picking one model or the other. It's about having a little bit of a diversified portfolio of your products so that you've got a steady stream of income so talk us through some of the approaches that you take to that I mean you've talked about a fundamental model there but like based on the work that you've done with clients how do you get them to a point they've got a steady stream of income and reduce you know the stress that comes with with not having that
0: well I think the fastest way and also the most consistent way is to have your own community and that is something that will coincide with everything you are doing as you go along but the beauty of having your own free community people don't pay to be there but it's a community of people that you are growing and you are nurturing and what that means is that when you're ready to do your next launch you already have a well-nurtured audience there ready to plug and play that launch into which is really powerful so that like that model that I mentioned before is I refer to it as the reverse ascension model it's like building out your whole Ascension model, building out your suite of products, but doing it in reverse, right? So starting with the high ticket stuff and then building Mm -hmm. it out the other way around. The community is really powerful because what that does is that simultaneously allows you to build and grow your audience at the same time. And actually, even when you're not launching, You can be getting people onto sales calls and selling them into things on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. because you've got this process that warms people up and nurtures people, does wonders for social proof, authority and also reputation and just continues to feed that pipeline of clients for you. So that would be the most effective way to stabilize that and to get someone to a place where they've got that steady stream of inbound leads steady stream of sales calls and therefore a steady stream of pipeline filling (laughs) you know yeah nice
1: i really like that and i think i also it also tackles another challenge that i remember during that time which is that feeling of kind of struggling to kind of keep in touch with quite a large group of people while feeling busy and not being entirely sure how to Mm -hmm. engage with everyone because even if you are being quite organized and you've got a CRM system that you've captured where your last conversation had got to with each of those people, it's difficult to kind of just keep in touch in a generic sense. And I remember getting some advice at the time which i found really useful which was essentially kind of identify your know, 100 people or 50 people or whatever it is that you're going to keep in touch with and try and call like one of them per week or whatever it is just so that you're keeping keeping some kind of contact but even that and that's not a lot that's basically each one of those people hears from, gets a phone call from you once a year unless you're you know you, it then turns into something whereas what you're describing by setting up a community means that you're able to keep that ongoing communication and sharing of what you've been up to and so on in a way that doesn't feel too much and unsolicited but at the same Mm. time doesn't take a lot of a lot of time and or feel weird because it's kind of one-to-one right and presumably we're talking primarily about creating online communities i know we've talked about some of the we've previously talked about some of the technology that you can use to to use that because a lot of this isn't that difficult to set up now right
0: No, it's not. And actually, you want to use the mainstream tools to do it because that's where the traffic is. So Facebook groups, like every time I'm in front of an audience, I'm like, who loves Facebook? Who wants to be in another Facebook group? No one puts their hand up because people generally, like we hate Facebook, but it has the highest number of daily active users. Like it is the best place to build a community Mm. because you have the advantage of the algorithm. And the algorithm like loves Facebook groups because Facebook aid, Facebook groups aid retention of people on the platform. So they actually push groups that are performing well. And so you can have Facebook advertising your group. So that in itself is bringing new organic traffic to your community, but also the tools and just the daily visibility. Try building a community on a destination site, and it's going to really be difficult to get that daily engagement. And we just tried that with our client base on Mighty Networks. And by removing Facebook and WhatsApp simultaneously, we just completely killed our community. And I'm like the queen of community. Like, this is what yeah. I do. And like, they're paying a lot of money to be in that community, and it just died a death. And I think it's because some of these like platforms, as great as they are, They're not in our daily habitual use. And so they require us to go to them and engage in them. You know, like that is possible, but often people don't and therefore you end up with no engagement.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting the the impact that the friction created by some tools can have on whether or not people take action. is It's funny as you say, you know, we uh, we ourselves have tried different side of Facebook and WhatsApp and, and others that are um, much more user friendly, low friction, whatever. And it's just so painful. Like wh- one of the ones that we've used mm-hmm. in the past on face of it, face value should be better in many ways. For clients to to engage and interact and track what they've said before and all these sorts of things and yet because it's just another step for people to go out of their way and it takes longer it means that people of course just don't and so it's a yeah, can't underestimate the power of that friction right it's uh, can hold back a lot yeah what about some of the other the barriers that that your clients tend to need to overcome when talking about attracting retaining clients because I, you know, again, as a, uh, in the early days of building my consulting business, I, honestly, I was terrified of contacting people and having those sales conversations and, and so on, and had no idea how to reach out and particularly to try and do one-to-many selling was something that I was completely new to. Even one-to-one selling felt pretty new in those early days. So, um, Given that, and that there's quite a constellation of challenges that coaches and consultants have, because often they go into the into that business because they love the topic area, not necessarily because they've come with a load of sales and marketing experience. So what are some of the other bar- mm-hmm. barriers that you kind of have to help them overcome?
0: Yeah, I mean, it baffles me how people don't love marketing as much as I do. I have to remind myself, these people just want to deliver. They don't want to have to market. And I'm like, why? Yeah, so barriers, though. I guess, like, the most common one is mindset, Mm. as you just sort of spoke into fear, insecurity, uncertainty of what to say and how to say it. And I think it's really important that, number one, people give themselves the grace and the space to be a beginner um is it that rob moore says every winner was once a beginner every master was once a disaster mm. i absolutely love that it's so true and i think it's you know i think we expect too much of ourselves yeah. the truth is even when you started eating food you were really bad at it you used to get it all over your face and you know whoever's listening to this yes i'm talking to yep. you every single one of us could not get the spoon in our mm. mouth And, you know, through practice, we refine our fine motor skills, we refine our marketing skills, and we get more comfortable and more confident. Confidence is a muscle, and we need to practice that. But that doesn't mean that just throwing yourself head on into the collision of fear is going to help you to just get over it. Like sometimes, actually, these triggers that are coming up are to do with past trauma, and sometimes they're really difficult to get past. And I think that entrepreneurship is the harshest personal development journey there is because we literally have to get out of our own way in order to be able to move forwards and that means we've got to face some demons Mm. that if we were in a career we would get away with not having to face so there is that side of things that that's a massive one is coaching and we actually have a rapid transformation coach on our team for that reason because my clients would not necessarily be getting the results that they're getting If Gary wasn't doing the work with them to unblock them when they're preventing themselves for going for the thing that will work if only they had the confidence and the courage to go for it and create it, right? And simple examples of that are like you say, pitching on a webinar where there's like fifty people on the call. Like that's scary. It's really scary, right? It's scarier so,
1: when there's one. But yeah. <laughs> or two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think you get used to it. I think I think you get used to whatever you get used to, and then you change True. the context, and it becomes scary again. Like, you can be comfortable in speaking on podcasts, but the second you're on a webinar and there's a live audience, it feels completely different. You can be confident with speaking on a physical stage, but the second you deliver a training on True. Zoom, because, you, it's you know, the context changes and the fear comes back, so... Yeah, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, that's great um, advice. I love that. And that's and it's so true. You get used to becomes the new comfort zone, right? It's talked before about how for me speaking in rooms and you know facilitating workshops and presenting and so on comparatively that didn't stress me out because it's something that I'd done quite a bit in my career, particularly pre-starting my own businesses whereas talking through a lens and and doing those webinars and so on, I found Mm. much harder and particularly recorded content where it's going to get edited and it feels like I'm very exposed in that situation. I think that's often hard, I think, for, as you say, when business owners are suddenly having to face a load of demons that they hadn't had to overcome. Another one for me was around hiring and feeling like you can Mm. actually Bring someone in and delegate something, and not feel like you need to be a control freak that's all over it. But yeah, and being able to do that. And so I think you're right; it's you have to accept that you're a beginner at those things, and that you're, you know, going to get apple all over your face <laughs> the first time round. But uh, but eventually you'll be able to work it out. So I really like that as a lens to kind of look at it. It's interesting. What one of the other angles I want to explore with you, Cordelia, is that enjoyment of the business. Because to some extent, there we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Potentially doing things that you don't necessarily enjoy or that are uncomfortable, which is important for growth, but at the same time, people go, you know, start their own businesses to enjoy it. It reminds me of uh, we work with an intellectual property consultant, Robertson IP, who was finding a lot of his work, his valuable time anyway, was taken up with admin work and that he hated mm. and wasn't valuable. And so when we worked with him, we entered his processes and got them so they could be handed over. We even helped him document some of the processes that his essentially sort of legal assistant, who was more highly paid than his virtual assistant, was paid. We even documented some of those so they could be handed to a virtual assistant, saving money as well, which is nice. And ultimately, it means that he can spend time on what matters most and it increased his income and profit and so on. But the thing that I loved most was how much more he was enjoying his work because he's doing the things that he's passionate about and i know that this is something that you're really passionate about too fundamentally helping business owners to build a business that they love so for you what mm-hmm. does that look like and what do you find makes the difference
0: well first and foremost you need to actually be you know generating revenue in order to be able to outsource mm-hmm. so that is a pre-requirement of that but it's you know in in the preparation of getting ready to outsource, you can be creating SOPs by recording your pro process and documenting, as you say, and it's always better to hire before you need to hire. But if you're not yet at that stage, what I would say is that, well, unfortunately, you know, just like with a lot of things, and I I hope it's okay for me to swear lightly, Alexis, is that, you know, you've got to eat a bit of shit at the start of (laughs) building your own business, right? And that's just the way it is. You know, actually, I could argue that probably every single one of the passions that you have, you could go and find Mm. a job that allowed you to do those. But there's a reason why you want to be a business owner. Perhaps you want to design your own lifestyle. You want that freedom. You want that ability to be able to, you know, Work from anywhere in the world or take holidays whenever you want or, you know, work three days a week and not take orders from someone else. So fair enough. And if that's the case, we start from the beginning, which is a little bit of hustle to build the momentum. Now, as soon as you've got that momentum, you can be outsourcing. But I do believe that you should be able to do pretty much every single thing in your business before you outsource it. Reason being, how are you going to quality check? work that's being done for you how are you going to cope if your va or your member of staff suddenly god forbid drops down dead and you got to pick the pieces up right like what are you going to do how are you going to cope with that if you don't know how to handle those tasks and also how are you going to retrain your next member of staff so you want to commit to hustling to build the momentum so you get yourself to a place where you are an expert in every field of your business enough for you to be able to train someone else. You are able to quality check the work that someone else is doing, because, I mean, well, if you don't like writing emails, you could outsource those. But then if they're not performing well, how do you know why? How do you know why? What are you going to hire an expert to come and analyze them? No, So you need to get good at copywriting. You need to get good at marketing. You need to get good at sales. You need to get good at creating back end systems and You know, being able to organize and manage your workflow, you need to understand and know how to time manage and diary manage and have good customer support and onboard and offboard and all these things before you outsource them. And then when you can outsource them, it's going to feel good because you'll get some time back.
1: Yeah, I I like that. I, there's there's a lot that I definitely agree with and I think it's it's actually an area that I think that sometimes there's contention with and when I'm talking to other coaches or entrepreneurs around the extent to which you need to be able to do the tasks, you know, as you say like all these variety of things, you know, a classic one that I've seen is around finance and accounting where entrepreneurs out and delegate their accounting and bookkeeping and so on to an accountant or to a bookkeeper or whatever and, but really, they're abdicating it because they don't know how it should be done. They don't really know what they want from the results from it and the reports. And as a result, are surprised when either there's fraud that's committed that they never even spot or that when they try and look at the financials, it's meaningless to them and they can't use it. Or some coach has you know, some very basic questions and they're not able to answer it or they find they're not profit-making or that they run out of cash. And those are basic skills that you need to have. Albeit that you don't need to be the person reconciling every transaction and turning your accounts into statutory accounts and submitting them, you do need to be able to understand, you know, the categorization of your accounts and what makes up your PL and so on. So I definitely agree that you do need to have that understanding of those different areas. It's interesting that the when you talk about the training people and how do you cope when, you know, if someone suddenly leaves, I would hope and hopefully listeners to this podcast would have heard us talk about before about, you know, making sure that those things are documented so that, that that's easier to pick up, even if the you've got the employee to document it. But particularly what I want to pick up on is that point. I really love that point you made around. Initially, there's some hustle, there's some pain up front, and you do have to build that so that you're revenue generating because you can't suddenly hire a load of people before you're revenue generating, apart from anything else because you're likely to find that you haven't quite worked out how to sell your products and services and how to describe it Mm -hmm. well, and as a result, the revenue doesn't come through as fast as you'd like, and yet you'd suddenly have all these costs. But I think the light at the end of the tunnel, I think, for me is that you don't need to wait, you don't need to wait until you're ready to outsource everything. I think the risk is that mm-hmm. you then go to the other end of the extreme and assume that because you have to know a bit about everything and be able to do it, that you need to be able to do that, all of those things until one day you start delegating everything, which of course you can let go of little bits at a time, right? And one of the things that we've been really good at is delegating some of the areas around sales and finance and HR and so on. Marketing is one of those areas that we've struggled more with and particularly other entrepreneurs and friends of mine that own businesses when I speak to them about you know if you've got examples of agencies or you know marketing team members or whatever that are really amazing get results and there's kind of like some umming and ahhing eh? not you know oh, there that, that was a good one they spoke really well but I'm not sure I'm getting the results. What's been your experience of that? Like when businesses get to a point that they can try and outsource or let go of some of those marketing areas, what have you seen actually work versus the bits that don't?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we've obviously outsourced stuff ourselves. DM engagement on social media, for instance, that worked really well. It was actually one of my clients that wanted to start a social media agency and I started teaching her by her doing hours and you know, that was bringing about 300 Instagram followers a month and also leads on the list. That was quite well, but quite good. But then, you know, there's been other instances where that's not worked quite so well. I've also had someone doing our content and that was brilliant. But again, it was someone who knew me Mm -hmm. really well. I think the difficulty is that there are so many ways in which you can outsource. And what I would suggest is that it comes down to who you know, not, it's all about connections. So I have come from a community of 3000 people inside the marketing academy that I was a consultant Mm -hmm. for. And so I knew quite a lot of people from there. I have then start at the very start of my business was going to networking events. I've been going to Expert Empires for years now and various other events like Traffic and Conversion Summit. You know, I go to events, I expand my network, I meet people, I connect with people. And that allows you to have quite a wide pool yeah. of connections that can help you when it comes to this kind of thing. Everybody that's ever worked for me or with me, I've either met at an event or have been in the same community with. And I think that's a really important consideration when you first start hiring or getting, you know, some support is that you start with people that, you know, or Mm. you start with people that know you at least and understand your business, because that's how you're going to get great results. I think that in comparison to an agency, I've always been a bit "Mm," about an agency. I have worked with One code break, they were absolutely fantastic on Facebook ads because I just didn't have time to put them Mm -hmm. together and they got great results and I would recommend them. So the idea of going to Google and finding an agency, I think my issue is that I don't feel like there's going to be the Mm -hmm. love because there's not the connection. And that for me is really important. Mm -hmm. Like we're a community focused business. And so everything, like if we're going to bring salespeople in, they've got to be front of house connecting with our community. If we are going to bring people in to do anything that's, you know, connecting front of house, they need to be able to engage and be a part of the yeah, family. Cause that. that's the vibe that we have. And then anything that's kind of back of house. We still want the love to be there because it's not about in our business. It's not about evergreen webinars that go for high volume sales. That's just not who we are. It's not what we're about. And so it feels a little bit like it needs to be more personal. But then I imagine everyone feels that about Mm -hmm. their business, especially if they're in love with their business. Right. And it means a lot to them. So, yeah, I think there are different ways in which you can do it. I recommend anyone who's starting to hire to think about things like apprenticeship programs with anyone in their client or peer group that want to learn from them, their set of skills, but also, you know, need some some revenue right sorry need some some money in the bank so our first hire she wanted to learn how to start a coaching business so she came to work with me the initial agreement she come work with me for six months i'll teach her everything i knew from the inside on the job she'd support me and she ended up staying with me for two and a half years and now she's running a successful coaching business and living in i don't even know where she is right now cuba or somewhere like it's bloody awesome then Family is another one. People say, you know, don't, don't, don't go into business with your family. I call BS on that. Really? I'm not not sure I could
1: agree with that. I've seen so many examples of it go terribly wrong.
0: (laughs) I think it depends who it is. There are certain people in my family I wouldn't hire, for sure. sure. Me and my sister have been working together for two and a half years, and it's the best thing ever. Like, I've I've helped her get out of a job that was treating her really Mm. badly, and she's just she's loyal she's loyal she loves it she's you know and it's it's great i've also got one of my best friends on the team as well which works really well and yeah i think it depends on you and your communication skills and also who that other person is, because, you know, it's not going to be mm. all family always like absolutely not. Don't get me wrong. I love my family, but a lot of them I wouldn't hire. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that's good advice. And I think I think you're right. A lot of it comes down to how you do it as well, because I think I think back and there was a time when certainly my wife would have said that she never could have imagined working with me and I would imagine that to be terrible. And then ended up becoming a consultant and essentially running our consulting practice, which I mentioned earlier, and so she now runs that. And we really like working together and it's great. So yeah, okay. Right? Fair enough, fair enough. Okay.
0: Yeah, people say don't, don't work and live with people. Okay. They're just pushing their bad experiences onto us. You give it a go for yourself, see if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, okay. But at least you tried. Yeah, yeah you indeed, tried.
1: indeed. Although whatever you do, make sure that you've got shareholders' agreements and employment contracts and all those sorts of stuff that you would have in place for anyone else. <laughs> that'd be my that'd be my yeah. advice. Fantastic, excellent. Well, unfortunately, we're coming up for time, but uh, I'd be really interested, Cordelia, in how someone can learn more, including tactics, strategies they can apply, some of the resources that I know that you provide. How can they reach those? What's the best way of connecting with you?
0: The best way is via the Rebellious Business Network. We literally have at least one training happening in there every single week. This week, we've got two, for example. One of them I'm giving away to high converting strategies, completely free of charge. And another one is we've got a guest expert coming in. Sometimes we have networking sessions. We have loads of really good, high quality content happening regularly in there. So look up the Rebellious Business Network and come and join the party, I would suggest.
1: Fantastic. And uh, I'm guessing that's on Facebook.
0: It is on Facebook, although if you Google it, you'll find it. It's on Facebook. It, you'll find it in Google. You can go to rebelliousbusiness.com. And yeah, it's quite easy to Fantastic. find. L- luckily, we have quite a unique game. Yes. Yeah, end end no, I, lo- no I lo- love
1: it. I think it's a, it's a great setup and the And the fact that you're providing such great training on a frequent basis is just amazing. What a, a brilliant way of building, nurturing and supporting your community. So yeah, highly recommend people go check that out. The Rebellious Business Network. Go find it on either Google or Facebook and connect with Cordelia. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Cordelia. It's been great talking to you and I really appreciate you sharing your insights.
0: You're Welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. All
1: right, so it's been great. So for those who've been tuning in regularly, our weekly webinar series is not one to miss. We dive into the topic of freeing up 15 hours per week whilst also reducing the stress of running a business or without hindering growth. Join us live to get valuable insights and strategies, typically Wednesdays at 1pm, but we change it occasionally. So be sure to visit www.airmanual.co forward slash webinar for more information and to register for the next webinar. And before we wrap up, I'd also like to thank all of our listeners, particularly those of you who have taken the time to provide reviews and share our podcast with others. We've been delighted by this and uh, and the lovely feedback that you've really provided. It's been great. As a new podcast, your support is crucial in helping us reach a wider audience. So if you have found today's episode to be valuable, please take a moment, share it on social media or leave us a five star review. We'd really, really appreciate it. Otherwise, until next time, have fun.